Listen. So we are here talking about the Batman, what a lot of people consider to be the darkest of the nights that we've gotten so far. Uh, and it's been really interesting to see people kind of almost complain about the fact that, you know, this isn't their brave and the bold Batman. How are they supposed to take their children to go see this movie uh, if it's too dark? So I guess we're supposed to take them to the last one, Zach. That was four hours long. It was a black and white. It, maybe, no, maybe it was mm. the last one that was uh, completely violent and they said that Batman killed too much. Maybe, maybe yeah, it was the Occupy that. Wall Street one, Zach. Right. Uh, was it the anarchist one? Was it the terrorist one? They're going to have to go all the way back to the bat nipples. And to me, that's not something I would show my kids. So uh, if, if you've been waiting for that Batman movie that's meant for the whole family, I highly recommend the animated series. It's still out there. <laughs> not even the Batman Dark Knight. This whole big discussion that people are having on what's at the top will ever beat the animated series. Uh, but we are talking about right here the newest installment into the Bat series. Uh, I think both of us are pretty big fans about what we've had. Uh, a big shout out to the live chat who are listening in. Our community, thank you so much for giving us everything we need, as the Riddler would say. Uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> full spoilers for the Batman if you have not seen it. Go check it out. Yeah. Spend those three hours. Come back. Spend the hour with us. Uh, because to me, this is a combo price. Uh, there's a big thing about it being an IMAX, being in Dolby. Really, all you need is the brightest bulbs out there to make sure that you're capturing some of the greatest cinematography, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to a movie of this year. But it is very dark. It's almost teetering, Zach, because of the story that we're going to get into. And I hope I can convince you that it might be a work of art. What did you rate it, man? I mean, I, I went four stars here because Colin Farrell is having the time as, of his life, as are a lot of the people involved. Like, this may be a, a brooding emo Batman, but I think there's a lot more fun to be had in this movie than maybe everyone is letting on from uh, their first impressions. It, yeah, this is a movie where uh, the first time you watch it, I think it's going to be really difficult considering the fact that it's three hours long, and it's not like we haven't had movies in the past that have been that long for Batman. Uh, some of these are really pushing two hours, two and a half, three. I don't mind the length as much as it is a movie that, as opposed to all of these that you see right here, this one's a psychological one. I don't think any of these movies have mm -hmm. been as psychological as this Batman has been. Uh, but to me, that's why it's also one of the best. So, last warning for those who haven't seen it, because from here on out, we're going to be talking full spoilers. So, let us explain. Zach, we got ourselves All right. the newest Batman. How do you feel about <laughs> Senor Robert Pattinson? I gotta say, I really enjoyed Robert Pattinson in this role. I mean, I think he's giving us a very different type of Bruce Wayne than we're used to in the live action Batman, but it's, it's one that really works. And I think he's able to sell both the kind of like rich recluse, you know, her hermit lifestyle and the, the emo looks, the, the eyeliner and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's able to sell that toughness in those scenes where you need him to be brooding and menacing. He, he comes on screen and you believe, you believe him when he sends, I am vengeance. Yeah, no, I thought he was fantastic. I, I know they've been arguing that this is the boy who's put in the goth in Gotham, that he's too emo. I like that about it. I think we've seen a yeah. variety of bat men that have everything already figured out. And I like this idea that he's barely in year two. He's barely getting used to what he's supposed to be. And he's not that Bruce Wayne who's a playboy. Uh, I think people yeah. who complain about that, it's like complaining Mr. Freeze isn't here yet. It's like, well, we'll get there. I think part yeah. two is it's going to be really funny to see a dude who isn't just trying to be or who isn't pretending to be Bruce Wayne. He's failing at being Bruce Wayne. This is the Batman for the awkward crowd. A lot of people have said, I yeah. can't connect to this Batman because he's too emo. 
So you connect to the one that's a billionaire? Like I'm, I'm a little confused there. Um, I am yeah. going to this love is the version, seeing this man. Go ahead. This is the version of the Batman that's truest to the Lego Batman's version of the Batman. Honestly, this, yeah, it, he's going to be one who's pretending to learn how to talk to girls, but not really get it. We saw how he was doing <laughs> with Catwoman here. Uh, but yep. overall, I still think he delivered on what you need Batman to be. A person who mm-hmm. has this drama, who's trying to make something out of it, uh, and in this case, barely learning from it. I know a lot of people complained about the boy not having worked out as much. Uh, they were really bogus to him, man. They were calling him, they were calling him the Joker. I think there's a difference there, Zach. I, it's a little <laughs> bogus to call my man Arthur, but I think he worked out. I think he didn't do the steroid yeah. regimen that a lot of other people may have, so it's way too much. The fact that it feels like this could be an actual regular person adds a lot of uh, realism to the movie, in my opinion. Uh, as well as the aspect with Alfred. Um, I don't know if you had more to add about what you feel he was able to bring to the portrayal as opposed to other ones. Because uh, even with Alfred, I, we're barely scratching the surface. He wasn't in yeah, I my mean, opinion. I, I think that's generally the case for a lot of these characters is that we, we are mostly scratching the surface here. We're not getting a huge dive into the backstory and uh, tearing apart the complex of it. Like, yeah, this is maybe the most Batman focused Batman movie we've had in a little while, but even then, I don't know if it's like bringing us any huge answers about who Bruce Wayne is or who this version of Bruce Wayne is. I think it's setting us up for what will be a a longer journey. I agree. Um, And I feel like they have a lot of Easter eggs there. This whole backstory with, uh, Alfred. Obviously, Circus has already been in the Planet of the Apes trilogies. He was Caesar. Uh, so he's worked with Matt Reeves. Mm-hmm. He knows the whole ins and outs there. There's clearly going to be a lot more that's going to be expanded upon. I'm hoping that, especially with Alfred, we see a lot of backstory, maybe even flashbacks. They compare this a lot to The Godfather. I can see them going the Godfather Part 2 route, where it's like a flashback that's happening and the present at the same time. Um, but overall, I really like that idea of family and legacy that they play with in this movie. Uh, especially when he confronts the Riddler, who, like many Batman villains, is supposed to be the opposite side of Bruce Wayne, right? So the main thing that he's facing here is that he thinks he's trying to find this guy who's killing all of the politicians around town. Not realizing that it might be the politicians who are the ones who are running things, but, uh... In terms of the different things that he was able to bring, his suit, his gadgets, how did you feel that stacked up against, you know, previous incarnations? I was into it. I mean, it's uh, it's a clunky kind of version of the, the bat suit that kind of, I think, uh, helps sell how powerful he is in those moments. But I liked it because it also feels a little bit like... Uh, heavy on him, right? Like he is yeah. lugging around this equipment. Uh, there's a moment where he transforms into that, that squirrel suit and it's not like the most slick transition, but it, you know, it, it works. And I think it all kind of gives that movie that tangible reality feeling, right? Um, it worked for me. I thought it was cool. That's all thanks to Matt Reeves. I like how Matt Reeves came out and he said, if you don't know the uh, OG 1966 Batman that they got over there, right? He's like, I was born in 1966. He said it's meant to be. Okay, he's right there. Boom. Uh, This is the 1966 Batman. Director was born in 1966. A lot of people have said he doesn't understand Batman. No, 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 no. This is a dude who I think through and through... uh, 
has weaved all of the backstories that we see, not just from the comics, but the animated series. I know someone had name-dropped Mask of the Phantasm, another perfect example of what this movie is in live action. And I think he's taken it to a degree where it may not be everybody's Batman because it's more brooding, but you cannot say that this man does not understand Batman. Uh, I love mm-hmm. how the reason he, he was even on his radar, uh, Robertson has been talking about uh, the fact that he did all these indie movies and he felt like he was wasting his time a little bit. He just wanted to get away from the celebrity status of it. But it's all those indie movies that have put him now on the radar that he's working on the Batman. He's working on Bong Joon-ho's next movie. And it's because of Good Time that he actually got this role. There was, in particular, in my opinion, this frame right here that did it. There is a scene in this movie where I kid you not, he is wearing this jacket. As it pulls up right there. Oh no. They've taken it away. But I have it over here as well. Zach had made a mention to it. As you can see, the red jacket there being placed From on. Good time. And a frame that I don't have is actually the fact that you see the Good Time grocery store right in the back. Right. Oh, I see right there. It's already a combination. Boom. Fantastic. Uh, I also love that he didn't even let him know that the reason he had cast him was because of Good Time until after filming the movie. Gotta <laughs> love it. Uh I think I knew, he knew what he was doing when going after him. He knew that he was going to be able to bring in not just that factor of uh, calling him a Kurt Cobain rock star type figure. Because yeah. if you think back to Kurt Cobain, this is a dude who wanted to stay away from the spotlight. The fame was too much for him. This is Bruce Wayne who wants to stay away from the spotlight. Mm-hmm. The fame is too much for him. We just said Robert Pattinson stepped away from the spotlight. The fame was too much for him. It's a yep. perfect casting, in my opinion. It works and on that metatextual level. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think it's better the more you know uh, all the context to it. I also love, I don't know if mm-hmm. you noticed, that the Nirvana song that plays in the trailers, that plays multiple Something times in the way. movie, he's listening to it in real time because when Alfred comes in, the dude turns it off. And that's what Matt Reeves said. He's like, yep. he is literally inspired by Nirvana. Um, yep. uh, another little note here. A lot of people were complaining about him not knowing. Man, he went all the way back to the bust. The scene when uh, Alfred throws the, the package the bust is right there. So there are little moments throughout that I uh, found very fascinating from Matt Reeves. Mm. I think he knocked it out of the park. And this is a director who, from Cloverfield, which I absolutely love, and the Planet of the Apes trilogy, not only does he have a good relationship with Warner Bros., he knows how to really handle a franchise, in my opinion. And he's going to continue it, since I believe Gordon and Penguin are going to be expanding to other stuff. But when it comes to the biggest relationship in this movie, I know a lot of people like Catwoman. These two were the most. The fact that they had their own hiding spot. The fact that, he, mm-hmm. you know, no girls allowed, but he ended up bringing her up there and even Gordon's like, what do you mean? Who could be up here if it's not me? They have this whole relationship where uh, in year one, it's been private. In year two, they're making it a little bit more public, you know? They're signaling out <laughs> the bat- to people. <laughs> is, is the Batman more of a buddy cop movie or a romantic comedy? Buddy cop movie all the way. All the way. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect mashup of the two, but I love yeah. the relationship that these two have in this movie. They have their own hideout spot. They yeah. have this kind of like really big way of talking to each other. Um, I know a lot of people said it, it sounds really funny that he calls him Man, as if his first yeah. name was Mr. or Bat. Hey, Man. <laughs> Mr. Man. Uh, you and I both agree But it's on also this. just like they're... It's like they're guys just hanging out, though. Like, hey, they're man. just chilling. What are you doing, and that, man? And that's why I think to you and me, every time that they're talking... It borders being on a comedy. This is such mm-hmm. a gritty movie that it almost loops back around to being, like you were saying in our non-spoiler review, it's it's Schumacher levels again. Right. You know? If you don't find 
the idea of a guy in a ridiculous big bat costume showing up to a true true detective type of uh, crime scene. I don't know. I can't. I can't help you. I can't make you laugh at that, bro. It's literally Zodiac, but <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's in a bat suit. It's getting into mob stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's The Departed, but someone in the room is wearing a bat suit. How do you not see this movie as being hilarious when they start literally quoting lines from The Godfather, remixed? But there's a dude with a bat suit. Like, it's the funniest <laughs> concept. It's almost like an SNL sketch, but they go all in on it, and I don't know. Right. I was fascinated by it. I loved it. Uh, I don't think it's a humorless movie. I don't know when... Uh, I, I- when did it become a requirement? I counted at least I counted at least three jokes. Thumb drive being the funniest of them all. He's wearing gloves, which was pretty decent. Yeah. Elwa, I think, was pretty solid. Yeah, and I, Habla I think Espanol. just the whole dynamic, though, just the fact that how everyone's reacting to him makes it feel so real that it's absurd. It, it, it's it's yeah. fantastic in my opinion. Um, but it's through Gordon that you see really the expansion of Gotham and all the stuff that's happening around them. And getting into the homages, I know you and I have a little bit of a split with this when it comes to The Joker having been a movie that got a lot right. of attention for the fact that people felt it was mimicking uh, movies that came before it. I personally feel, whether you thought it was doing it right or wrong, I felt that a lot of the critiques were, no, you're not allowed to do that. And I, I, I guess now you are allowed to do that? Because you could cover the Zodiac, Zach. He didn't cover the Zodiac. He covered the way David Fincher covered the Zodiac. I like right. it. I just find it funny that we're now uh, flipping. Yeah. And I guess what I would say is like my hang up with movies, a movie like the Joker making those types of illusions is that Joker is doing it in a way where it's trying to inflate its own importance. It does feel like a movie that's trying to proclaim itself as being about capital A something capital S. Whereas I think the Batman is just trying to be a, trying to be a good time, trying to be a hangout. It's not, it doesn't have those like lofty philosophical goals that make it all seem a little bit ridiculous when it is a little bit paper thin and just lifted from other deeper sources. That's fair. Um, But overall, how did you feel uh, it was able to straddle that line of wearing all of its homages on its screen? I know you had a bunch to name drop as well. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really cool how it felt very much influenced, like you were saying, by those 70, uh, 70s detective movies. I just watched Bullet for the first time over the weekend with Steve McQueen and was struck by how similar I felt uh, the Bullet character was to Batman in this movie, being mm-hmm. kind of like cold and not revealing too much. Uh, the way that they both will just sort of walk around a crime scene not saying anything until the right moment very similar and then also with that big car chase in the middle I mean it's very bullet it's very French connection which you were saying Matt Reeves also brought up uh, in his interviews Uh, but the thing that obviously reminded me the most of were those Fincher movies whether it's the 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 deciphering of the cipher the way that they do in the Zodiac films or more explicitly just the idea of arriving to these uh, extremely graphic crime scenes and uncovering the clues is a lot like what we got from Seven, the yes. uh, classic with David Fincher. In fact, like there, there are visual moments that feel very much similar too. And like, uh, I think there's a lot that, in terms of the progression of the plot, that the Batman borrows from how Seven dealt with the John Doe character. 
100% agree. Uh, wrapping up Gordon really quick, because I know that you we have some parallels that we're going to show later, even going deeper into that. Right. I love this scene. It, uh, we're seeing the chat of people talking about who's the difference between uh, the Catwoman relationship to the Gordon relationship. This scene alone. Packs a punch. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Just a little growling that they're doing to each other about how you're going to hit me. I want to see more of these two. I would love to see just a whole backstory for their year one. Uh, To me, that would be incredible. I also just love how the cops would be shooting in their own station as the guy's running away. Um, (laughs) But just overall, I think the relationship in terms of his Gotham project, as he calls it, uh, was very fascinating to see. I love seeing a year one Batman um, who doesn't have everything together and these beautiful streets of Chicago right here. Uh, Zach knows I'm always going to come up to bat to defend a lot of people complain about the Dark Knight. I get it. We have the Batman. Sometimes people don't know how to praise a, a new movie that's out there. We love this movie. The mm-hmm. only thing they know how to do is go back and complain about the previous ones. I'm mm-hmm. gonna let y'all finish. Everything's the, Dark the Knight, best when it's new. Exactly. <laughs> the Dark Knight had some of the best uh, Gotham scenes, in my opinion. Yeah. But I also love what they do here. I just find it funny that people hate Gotham in the Dark Knight for being Chicago. But then their favorite shots from this movie are literally the same streets in Chicago where The Dark Knight was filmed. LaSalle, Underwacker, all those things. So don't get it twisted. The, the dust will settle and you'll see that uh, they all bring different elements to the table. I also like this part of it. It's practically Jigsaw. There's like moments where you see him taking homages yep. from so many things. But even more than just the uh, different genres is finally being able to have some horror to it. I took my sister to go see it yesterday. She was scared. But she loved it. And I feel like in a lot of these blockbusters, we're we're too scared to scare people, I I feel studios are. Mm -hmm. And there is some menacing, disgusting scenes. You had broken down in our non-spoiler review how uh, Greg Frazier in Dune was shooting shots that were blurred out when uh, they were killing people on the planet. And in this, there are a Mm -hmm. lot of bokeh out shots as well. So Yeah, I mean, first of all, in the very first kill that that, uh, Riddler does, uh, of the mayor, you know, he's pounding the guy but it's off screen in a very Hitchcockian way I think uh, Reeves talked about in interviews drawing inspiration from Psycho and how you never see the knife going in you know you can allude to a lot I think one of the best moments of the film just from a filmmaking standpoint was the moment where they kill the Peter Sarsgaard character and it's all done out of focus it's it's even though you don't really see what's happening they've set it up in a way where you know and you just feel the tension of the moment in a way that it's not really important that all of it is blurry you you, mm-hmm. you feel that moment we were saying we may have wanted it are but the restrictions a good filmmaker knows how to take restrictions and sometimes make it worse yep. <laughs> sometimes make it like uh, e- even to more Scarier. terrible than it was yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about selena let's talk about the secondary relationship in this movie uh, i think we both were really fascinated by what she was able to bring to the table it's almost like she was born to play this role the walk the luck this this woman literally drank a cup of milk in the middle of the movie <laughs> why why not? <laughs> they had a great relationship. Uh, this is supposed to be a, a point in the story where if you check the credits, they're really big on this. And this is going to come back later, Zach. So make sure you're paying attention. Make sure you're taking these notes. She's not Catwoman. She's still Selina Kyle. Just like he's still Batman, struggling with Bruce. So at this point, we're still following the early days of her being a cat burglar. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I really liked her backstory and where, you know, she's the person who helps Batman see that not everything is black and white. Man literally wears contacts where everything is black and white. And even when she puts it on, he starts 
literally being able to see things through her eyes. And she's kind of the one who teaches him that not everything is going to be uh, one way or the other. He kind of starts like loosening up because of her. This mask was also fantastic. Mm-hmm. I do have jokes. Yeah, with the subtle cat ears. <laughs> it's so good from the back. Even though I laugh yeah. at the fact that this girl can go get her eyebrows done and not even have to take off this mask. <laughs> but it's iconic. It, it adds a lot of elements to it. Uh, which I'm, I'm curious to see how they expand upon when she fully becomes Catwoman. But the way that she's able to play off of Batman and they have that tension. They have that chemistry with each other. Uh, I thought worked phenomenally well. Really good stuff. Totally. If anything, we wanted to see more of it. Yeah. So in terms of the backstory, she's really the one who brings in uh, how the underbelly of Gotham is really the one who's in trouble. Like, he keeps thinking it's this one main serial killer, but we're not defending the Riddler here. Uh, The Riddler was going after the people who were creating all this crime from the top, right? And that also affected Selina growing up. She works in the club. She's the person who's able to get him in on Falcone and even a little bit for the Penguin. Uh, and also the one who kind of keeps his humanity, because I personally feel that a big point in this movie isn't just fighting the bad guys. It's, like we said, Bruce trying to fight to keep Bruce, not let the Batman alter ego completely take over. And just jumping to the end of it, I know you and I were discussing before you had seen the movie, uh, how does their relationship end? With rumors of there being a Catwoman spinoff, with the idea of this being a trilogy, seeing what the Dark Knight Rises had already done, do you see this as being paralleled in the third movie, that if they went apart, eventually the bat and the cat will come back? I mean, it'd be cool to see that happen because, I mean, just coming off of, uh, we were all doing our Batman rewatches, I'm sure, but seeing the way that characters in the previous films didn't necessarily all get to come to fruition in that way that we would like, Mm -hmm. I, I think... Hopefully, by planting so many of, it, of them early here, that we will get to see them develop over the course of several films. Because I, I know I didn't, I, I felt like it was left in a place that is a little bit too unresolved. Like mm-hmm. They have to do a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. It, it's gonna be really good. Let's get Gonzo. Let's get Gonzo, baby. My favorite. I came out of this telling Zach, look, I will always respect the man. Hey, Paul come Dano. on. We're about to get into it, but come on. <laughs> absolutely killed it this man stole it in terms of makeup the original uh riddler that was played by danny devito that team was able to win awards i don't see how Mm -hmm. this team doesn't just get nominated but maybe also even carrie colin farrell uh you had a great breakdown of him about how he just took it over the top yeah i mean i i think he's kind of playing just sort of every movie mob boss that you've ever seen. He's kind of leaning into that that stereotype of an accent. I don't know if it's like a real Italian-American accent or just the one that every actor on The Sopranos learns to do. It's something. But it's so fun. It's so fun to see Colin Farrell in this mode, unrecognizable because uh-huh. of the makeup. Like you, you see it maybe in little glimpses in the eyes every now and then, but that makeup job is so convincing. Uh, yeah. And it's just fun because he's he's the kind of actor who knows how to lean into those moments that are a, a little bit hammy and not make them cheesy, right? Just make them, them them silly in the way that you want a superhero mob boss to be. That whole, the, just the way that he's talking to himself in the car as he's trying to get away during the car chase is hysterical. I just want the, the uncut bloopers of Colin Farrell ad-libbing as he looks over his shoulder. 
It's so good. All, all that makeup, but the acting was really in the eyes. And yeah, that scene was fantastic in IMAX because the IMAX has the different tracks to really build the sound. But the Dolby just shakes your butt, bro. The Dolby was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And it's in that that I just want to continue praising cinematography. These muzzle flashes, they said they shot them for real uh, when it came to a yeah, lot of these sequences. Crazy. Yeah, they were there. Literally, surprisingly, the only part that's fake was they said most of it was CGI rain. And it's raining the whole movie, so uh, right. a lot of yeah, a lot of crazy stuff there. But when it came to Penguin, I loved how he's still in his early stages. Like he's still the one who's just defending uh, Falcone. He's really just his bodyguard. He hasn't fully become the Penguin. He still says, "I'm Oz," which again, you take a note, Zach. That's another big aspect he hasn't given in yet. He's still trying to be mm-hmm. uh, just a regular person. Shout out to this back car, bro. Just just beautiful sequences with this. I, I really love that idea of making it more of a muscle car. Uh, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful all around. But let's yeah, get another into... another retro thing. Yeah. Let's get into the real backstory of who really is responsible for the stuff that's going on here. I really like that the main villain, surprisingly, is Falcone. It's Falcone and what he's mm-hmm. done to the city of Gotham. How did you feel about this man playing it? Because I still can't get over uh, Transformers. <laughs> I can't. I like John Tur. I like John Turturro a lot as an actor. I don't know if this is my favorite version of John Turturro in a movie. Uh, it, it, whereas I felt like a lot of the other actors were making bigger choices, he felt a little bit more just like regular John Turturro. Yeah. Um, not. I don't want to complain because I think he's. I think he's really great. But you know, it felt like everybody else was making these big, broad decisions, and he was a little bit more restrained. Maybe what you need for this kind of mob boss character didn't take me out of the movie or anything. But yeah, he not not my favorite of the many. Of personalities we got. Again, going to the comparisons of The Godfather, uh, they have gone on record in saying that the Penguin, uh, Matt Reeves sees him as kind of like a Fredo. This is The Godfather right here. Mm-hmm. He calls Bruce Wayne the prince of the city. Why? Because he's the king. I kind of really like how he played it off. If you read The Long Halloween, which is really the big inspiration for this, I got it somewhere over here in the back. Um, I know you're taking notes, Zach. He is the only one who has fully become his final self him and one other person so i really like that that he's really subtle because when you pay attention the riddler's gone for 30 minutes in the movie mm-hmm. almost as much screen time as this man has right here but that really builds up to the backstory what did you think of the whole idea uh it's not fully court of Owls yet but that idea of all this renewal project the notion that why doesn't bruce wayne just donate all his money well because it's going to be funneled elsewhere i love how they just found a way to be like right. eh, this is why you can't do that uh <laughs> The way that they explored that, I th- I liked it. Yeah. I read it in well, Hush. I read it in different articles yeah. or novels. They had to respond to the Neil deGrasse Tysons or whoever of the world who want to find find the little plot hole and be like, oh, why Batman could be doing so much better by donating all his money. So I guess they found a pretty clever way of answering that age-old question. I think the story also does a really good job to seeing how it connects to all the characters, not just Alfred, not just Batman, how it's connecting to the Riddler, how he was affected by this renewal project that threw him out into the orphanage, which ends up being Wayne Manor. And because of that, that's why he starts hating on not just the the people of Gotham, but gets infatuated by the concept of Batman when he sees him wear the mask. Um, Mm -hmm. I, for one, really like this scene right here because you notice that dude on the left is filming. And a lot of people kept questioning. Um, that when you rewatch it, they really play on the vengeance bit. Mr. Vengeance. Hey, Vengeance. Vengeance over here. Because of that vengeance line, people were wondering, how does everybody know him like that? Simple. There was a dude who was filming him. And in filming (laughs) him, he almost goes as viral 
as the Riddler does. I think there's a lot of little subtleties like that in the movie uh, that are fascinating and seeing how people were perceiving him. I know you were talking a little bit about the DA, and uh, I thought Peter Sarsgaard did a, did a really good job. I like his line when he goes... I loved um, his performance. He says this line where he goes, uh, how much were the bribes? For what cases? He didn't ask that. <laughs> he didn't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> some it's some really so good. good stuff. And just how like openly emotional he is because he's just feeling the drop, the, the, the drug of choice in Gotham here. I thought that was cool, too, <sighs> that they had their whole own, uh, their whole unique uh, drug taking over the city. Yeah, it was just really fascinating the way that they were able to build up the city. And if I may, right here, as you see that little outline, I'm trying to bet that this is going to deal with Court of Owls because I see this. I saw this logo in multiple places. So I'm going to just put my bets on out there, hoping to see if they bring that back later on. But I know you you really were fascinated by the way they used the news in this and that whole control of narrative. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know if fascinated is the word I would use for it because it's. In, we were talking about it before, how they, they talk about this whole city is so corrupt from the police force to uh, all the uh, bars and restaurants and crime and whatever. Uh, yet they don't seem to have control of the news like for uh, yeah, take, say what you will about Gotham but journalistic integrity is pretty strong there I was also a little bit disappointed to, that they relied on the news so heavily in this movie right because they use they were using cable news for these long exposition dumps and you know it's not a movie that I thought dragged for much of its three hour time but when uh -huh. it did drag it was these moments when it was characters standing around and staring at a television or staring at a cell phone right uh, and I think there could be more elegant ways than just telling everybody that all the citizens of Gotham are big cable news junkies, right? Like it, it feels like a very Tell modern me, movie in many ways, yes. except for this one. I feel you. It makes no sense to not have that. There were multiple moments when Bruce gets blown up and that's the first time Batman doesn't appear. He's appeared at every crime scene, but not that one. <laughs> he punches uh, uh, Gordon and he runs away. I wonder where he might go, Zach. Could it possibly be the tower where these two meet up at every point in time? Talking about the news, I felt that same way with the message board spit. Mm -hmm. I like it, but I feel so many movies have just relied on, you know, those creepy message boards that are out there? Right. And that's where we get the Riddler. You had made the homage over here, um, comparing it to Seven. John Doe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously taking a lot of inspiration from it and that idea that when you see him kind of turn himself in, you realize that everything that he has planned is all a part of uh, the master manipulation that he's really doing for Batman. Seeing this comparison right here that you pulled up, uh, it's I love it. I, I love seeing this in a comic book movie and I love seeing how it all ends up connecting towards the end of it. He played him. I know the big debate comes down to, obviously, they're different sides of the same coin. He looks through binoculars at something else, so does he. The way he does his mask, the way that he keeps his own diary, they all have parallels down to the T that they're orphans. But does he know that he's Batman is the big debate. Mm-hmm. All my chips are in. It's a yes. If Zach, you've been taking notes. If you look back at them, you will see through and through that this man knows that the biggest thing that he wants to get done is not revealing who's behind the mask. The most important aspect is letting go of that alter ego that is Bruce Wayne. And I think a lot of people feel that once a villain knows his secret identity, why wouldn't he want to spoil it? But what's mm. scarier than spoiling it? This man loves riddles. What, is a, what would a Riddler do? Not give away the answer. Why would he ruin the riddle? What he mm -hmm. wants to do is take over Batman so that there's no more Bruce Wayne. 
Selena's still Selena. Batman's still Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Oz isn't the Penguin yet, but when you search up the credits for the Riddler, even when he's young, he's still the Riddler. And when he tells them, we almost got all of them except Bruce Wayne, he literally means we almost got everybody, but you're still not fully masked. You're still showing part of Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's and my the chip, way Zach. he, The whole way he plays with him in that interrogation scene there, like... I, I do feel like the movie is trying to to tell you the opposite, but it's doing it potentially in a way that's that's like a, a bait and switch way, like throwing you off the scent kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that he plays with him throughout the interrogation is so direct that it's all it, it almost would be harder to believe, <sighs> believe that it's that not. It, yeah, because then you're rewatching and you're going like, okay, well, then he can say Gordon, Gordon. Right. There is a prequel, yeah, there's a prequel book, and I've mentioned this a couple times, I think that it's almost crucial to read because while there are throwaway lines that on a rewatch would be like, oh, I, I forgot completely about the uh, burning down of the manor that is just a throwaway mm-hmm. line that's expanded upon in the prequel book. In the prequel book, it begins with that backstory of Bruce looking at the choir and a young Riddler is staring at him singing Ave Maria and in singing it to him, Bruce says he could never get that image out of his mind. So, Zach, if he doesn't know he's Bruce, I'm sorry, but that Ave Maria line at the end looks really dumb. It's just a dude yelling Ave Maria. But when you know that he's aware that he scarred a young Bruce, what does he sing to him? And reminds him, Ave Maria, putting him back to when he felt uncomfortable when he was young. All my chips are in, baby. Even in here, he stares at the choir, the same choir that he was staring at. uh, All the way down to, he's even got this board. In the back, where I kind of feel like he literally put, it's Bruce Wayne. Um, even when he blows up Bruce, and it goes to Alfred, right afterwards, he releases a message saying, Bruce, I need you to hear this. So then you didn't need him to die then. I really do think the entire thing isn't to reveal who Bruce Wayne is. It's to get Batman to fully become uh, this vigilante hero and to put away whatever that alter ego would be. So to me, that makes the whole story scary. And I think on rewatches, you'll catch so many more moments where he's really toying with Bruce. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious to dive more into that because I'm not convinced either way, but you, you've pointed to, pointed to some interesting clues. So I got to give that a thought on my rewatch. Overall, uh, I think towards the end, obviously the message of him realizing that his symbol shouldn't be fear, but his symbol should be hope, I think is something we've seen in previous Batman movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But the vengeance line. It's really cool when uh, a Batman character stares at a person who's on the floor and they say one word and all of a sudden it makes them reflect off everything. (coughs) Martha. Mm -hmm. Really good line (laughs) to have it here with vengeance. (laughs) Same elements again, but I thought it worked really well. Uh, every single time I rewatched it, I think it works even better, um, especially because everybody really sees him that way. To every single person, he's just this person uh, who kind of weaponizes the shadows, and the Riddler sees the opposite of that because he lives in the shadows, and this whole back and forth of trying to push him to the edge when in reality uh, the Riddler's plan gets foiled because it ends up helping uh, Bruce kind of see the way, if anything. Totally. Uh what do you see in the future for where the series can go, considering the whole city's been baptized? They taxi drive at this city, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did that flooding work for you? Because I, I didn't feel like it was quite as convincing as uh, Roland Emmerich might do it. But yeah. 
I don't, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about that with, with the way that it went. Look, I yeah. think it's effective in terms of the little clues that they laid out. Um, mm-hmm. He really toys with Batman being a forensic chemist while the Riddler is yeah. a forensic, uh, what's it called? Accountant. And in that, you see in the reports that uh, he was fully well aware that they were pulling funding from the seawalls. So it's mm-hmm. like, ah, on a rewatch, you realize he already knew that the money was being skimped and he was able to take advantage of that. So how it plays out at the end, I felt... It's like that third act ending that gets tacked on because they need an action scene. But, you know, it builds up to the vengeance scene. It builds up to what's clearly going to be a setup for the penguin taking over because now the city's flooded. Uh, and it also gives you that religious metaphor that I'm sure Zack Snyder was watching in some private IMAX theater that, it, that he has being fully infatuated with the idea <laughs> of uh, him being baptized and born again, you know? Right. A brand new person. Absolutely. But a beautiful shot. Just, I really like that. I really like how it all came yeah. together. I do really want to go back to that hero shot just because I think um, one thing that's really cool about it is I think superhero movies in general, and I'm going to include Marvel in this generalization, have gotten further and further away from the actual saving of people. They've become very internal. They've become very much about about the characters and resolving the conflicts between the villain and the hero or, or the hero and the other hero from the uh, other dimension or something. And I like that Reeves, in the end of his Batman, brings it back around to helping the citizens of Gotham. That one of the last things we see the Batman do is carry someone to safety, right? Because um, ultimately, like, what what's the whole purpose of being super heroic if you're not actually saving people. Exactly. So overall, that was a, for a movie that's been pitched as being so dark, sometimes it's the funniest, sometimes it's the cheesiest. And sometimes it goes all in on just, you know, being, uh, I guess the most heartwarming and realizing Mm -hmm. that a broken person can take their trauma and actually make good of it in terms of future stuff. Go ahead. I, I, I would say like, I don't know if the dark, is the perfect adjective to use, but it's definitely the most adult of the live action Batman. Cause even in the way that it is about mob, the, the mob and the crime, it feels more like a police procedural than it does like a uh, happy action comedy. So yeah. it, I'm not saying that uh, that's not a, a deficit of the movies at all. It's just not the movie that is going to be easy to bring a six year old with you to. Nor, nor should you. Uh, yeah, please but don't. overall, I thought it was very interesting. I'm curious to see what they do in the future. I know they have spinoffs. The Batman made really good numbers. It's got to beat the Joker. Like, literally. We have a movie called The Batman and a movie called Joker. Joker made a bill. Batman, you can't lose this fight. <laughs> That'd be terrible, box office-wise. Uh, right. Especially since wait. they did the PG-13 rating. That would be... crazy if it could do the pg-13 rating and still lose to the joker has to be the biggest joke of it all but (laughs) i know they've hinted for mr freeze you had the 44 below maybe they'll go 33 below (laughs) we do have yet again another joker man yeah Uh, an unnamed gotham prisoner i think you're you're trying to say nah he confirmed it already they all confirmed it i love how (laughs) barry keogh's brother tweeted it out when they got super drunk look i'm excited for him I, i know we've had way too many jokers more jokers than batmans but yeah it's Barry Keough. I, I love the boy. I think he's going to bring a lot to it. Uh, and it'll be fascinating to see how they build up uh, what his master plan would be. Because there mm-hmm. is a deleted scene where they supposedly already knew each other. And they talk about, oh, Batman, you're visiting uh, you're visiting me on our anniversary. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that expands. I hope they don't bring him till three. I hope they save yeah. it. I hope they bring in Robin. And I hope they do Death in the Family. 
I, I liked the sound of all of that. You know, if you are one of those uh, Batman fans out there who's maybe less familiar with Barry Keogh's work uh, and you're curious about whether or not he'd make a good Joker, may I highly recommend one of our both of our favorite movies of last year, The Green Knight, and you'll get a glimpse of the wow, devilish yeah. nature that Barry Keogh can bring to a role. I think that's like a great, like, if you want to just send in an audition tape for The Joker, uh, his part in The Green Knight's pretty good. Damn, you're playing a jester, yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, how does it rank uh, in terms of a lot of the movies that I know you've been re- rewatching? We're going to be working on a full bracket, so if any mm-hmm. of y'all have been on your Batman rewatch, it's going to come into play. We have a whole bracket that we'll be posting up so you guys can play with us. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I don't know if it's past the Dark Knight for me, but I am good with them being their own independent movies. And honestly, they're damn near tied, man. I feel... I don't want this DMCU, but I wish that y'all were able to have different incarnations of Iron Man from different directors. Batman mm-hmm. has multiple stories going on right now, and that's so fascinating from DC. I'm a fan of both. I'm a fan of both. But it's so cool to see all these different interpretations, and I, I welcome the new Madison one. I loved it. Yeah, for me, I I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. It doesn't reach the heights of the Nolan films for me, although I am a Christopher Nolan allegiant person. Like, I I love Nolan in general, so I don't know if that's also playing a factor in it for me. But even just rewatching through Nolan's trilogy, those first two movies are so, so good. So I think I'd have Batman maybe a little bit below them decent but overall yeah. i thought it was a fantastic addition to all of the bad stories that we've gotten uh, i'm curious to know all of your thoughts down below if you saw this movie what did you think let us know your spoiler thoughts did the riddler know or did he know because he knows you know uh <laughs> let me know your favorite batman your favorite batmobile all the stuff dealing with batman down below in the comment section until next time like the riddler said we enjoy this community we appreciate you and thank you for always being there <laughs>